All right, we are in the book of Revelation, book of Revelation chapter 17. Last week we got through um, about seven verses, six to seven verses um, of the chapter. Um, this week we'll finish it off, look at the rest of the book, uh, rest of the chapter 17. But let's go ahead and start at the beginning of the chapter and I'll read the whole thing again, kind of get the context. Revelation 17. Then one of the seven angels, who had the seven bulls, came and said to me, Come, I will show you the judgment of the great prostitute who is seated on many waters, with whom the kings of the earth have committed sexual immorality, with the wine of whose sexual immorality and the dwellers on earth have become drunk. And he carried me away in the spirit into a wilderness, and I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast that was full of blasphemous names. And it had seven heads and ten horns. <clears throat> the woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and jewels and pearls, holding in her hand a golden cup full of abominations and the impurities of her sexual immorality. And on her forehead was written a name of mystery, Babylon the Great, mother of prostitutes and of earth's abominations. And I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints, the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. And when I saw her, I marveled greatly. But the angel said to me, Why do you marvel? I will tell you the mystery of the woman and of the beast with seven heads and ten horns that carries her. The beast that you saw was, and is not, and is about to rise from the bottomless pit and go to destruction. And the dwellers on earth, whose names have not been written in the book of life, from the foundation of the world, will marvel to see the beast, because it was, and is not, and is to come. This calls for a mind with wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman is seated. They are also seven kings, five of whom have fallen. One is, the other has not yet come, and when he does come, he must remain only a little while. As for the beast that was and is not, it is an eighth but it belongs to the seven, and it goes to destruction. And the ten horns that you saw are ten kings who have not yet received royal power, but they are to receive authority as kings for one hour, together with the beast. These are of one mind, and they hand over their power and authority to the beast. They will make war on the lamb, and the lamb will conquer them. For he is lord of lords and king of kings, and those with him are called and chosen and faithful. And the angel said to me, the waters that you saw where the prostitute is seated are peoples and multitudes and nations and languages. And the ten horns that you saw, they and the beast will hate the prostitute. They will make her desolate and naked and devour her flesh and burn her up with fire. For God has put into their hearts to carry out his purpose by being one, being of one mind and handing over their royal power to the beast until the words of God are fulfilled. And the woman you saw is the great city that has dominion over the kings of the earth. Let's remind ourselves where we're at here in Revelation. Okay, so Revelation chapter 17 is, is this next chapter after we followed the, the interlude from chapters um, uh, chapter 12 through 14, and then we jump into chapter 
15 and 16, which bring about these bowls, and you have the, the bowls of God's wrath that are being poured out. Um, we're focusing in now on the, the final days, the final moments of uh, history playing out here, but with a, a panning lens that can see to the beginning as well. So uh, we're, we're zooming in a bit on the, on the end, but it's with the whole picture in mind. Because as I've said many times, and I'll even say it again uh, this evening, I think that what we're seeing in Revelation is not a continual linear picture uh, as, okay, chapter 1, then chapter 2, then chapter 3, then chapter 4. No, we're seeing a, a cyclical story being told that one group of, of wrath and, and pictures is being shown, and then we jump back and we start over again and see it again. And then we go back and we see it again, like camera angles viewing a movie. Okay? So that's the way I, I see the book of Revelation playing out here. And as we get into chapter 17, we're zooming in on two of the players uh, in this cosmic journey from the, the first advent when we had Jesus coming uh, as our Emmanuel and dying on the cross for our sins. That first advent and the second advent when he comes again in glory, when he shall come in trumpet sound as we just sang. So we've got this period which we're living in, in the, the already of God's achieving his kingdom. The kingdom of God is, is present. It's here now. And then we have the not yet, that it hasn't fully been culminated and brought into its fullness as it will be on that final day when he brings about the kingdom in all of his glory and we rejoice and we have the wedding supper of the Lamb and all of those pictures that we are getting ready to see. So we're in this inter-advental period. Um, and here in chapter 17, we see a, a zoom in on these two characters, the, the great prostitute, the great harlot, uh, which we said last week is, is a picture of really the religious and economic forces that work and are metaphorically and physically here in this passage riding on the back of this beast and the beast or the dragon is these uh, is, is world forces that the government entities that are all around us whether it be China and Russia or Rome in John's day or America today uh, these governmental forces that are opposed to the reign and rule of Christ as king okay so uh, the the Political forces are there, and on top of them, riding on their backs, uh, being carried by them, are these economic and, and even religious forces, pseudo-religious forces uh, that are riding along there. Okay, so remember in, in verse 3, where we see here uh, that with whom the kings of the earth have committed sexual immorality, with the wine of whose sexual immorality the dwellers on earth have become drunk. This isn't speaking of sexual immorality all by itself. Okay? That, that, that's one aspect of it, as uh, immorality was a part of that kind of economic and religious ritual of their, of their day in Rome. Uh, but it's a bigger metaphor for the idolatry that's been happening since the beginning of time. Uh, when, when Adam and Eve turn away from God's plan for them and they reach out and they grab an apple in the garden, that is spiritual idolatry. 
Uh, it's saying to Father God, saying to our husband God, I can find better. I can do better. I want to be satisfied somewhere else. And that is an abomination to him. Uh, it is punishable greatly, as we will see here. But notice that it says that they are, they are drunk. They are drunk with wine here. They have become drunk. Uh, and I didn't focus on this last week, and I wanted to mention it, but what does what what alcohol do to you? It, it intoxicates you. It, it numbs your senses. Uh, the, the commentary I was reading said that it anesthetizes you. And I was like, ooh, I like that word. It's a big word, big fancy word, anesthetizes. It, it just makes you feel numb, right? And that's the, that's the way that this force of economic prosperity and religious worship, pseudo-religious worship, false religious worship, uh, how they work together to just put a hold on any of your spiritual senses so that you are lock, stock, and barrel in for their immorality. And you don't have the wherewithal to be able to say, I need to get out of here. You're, you're drunk. You are not paying attention to what's going on. Yeah. Makes me think of like materialism when we, you know, it's so easy for us to. Oh yeah. We feel something. We need something in our lives, so we just go out and buy something new yep. to fill that need, and that pacifies us again for a while. So until the next year, they come out with the new version. Yep. We need it again. It's that same idea, I think. Exactly. It is, and and we have a tendency to read these things and think in old terms and go, oh well, you know, well, I don't go to some pagan temple and you know, lay down and have relations with the temple prostitute there, but we watch the television and see that latest gadget and go, oh, I need me some of that. Mm, that's uh, something I'd like to get with, you know. And... Yeah, the internet, phone, the, the new car, the big house, the whatever it is. And, and are any of those things wrong in and of themselves? Not necessarily, no, <laughs> not necessarily, but they can be a symptom of a deeper problem. If you are drunk on them, like as, as wine, I better, better say this, I think that the Bible talks that, that wine is not by itself a bad thing, okay? It's drunkenness on wine, it's drinking before its age, all of those kinds of things, okay? So... I'll put that, but the same way that, that drinking wine isn't necessarily evil, it is the drunkenness that can follow from that without having any boundaries up. Do you have a thought, Daryl? I was just thinking about all the times people line up at the Apple store for the new phone. Mm -hmm. In line? In, oh, that's our temple. That is the temple we worship at today. You should line up for church like that. I'll, I'll line up, I'll line up, and I've got my old device in hand. I need to turn over my offering of you know, last year's things plus my money that I worked real hard for, and I'm going to get my new God. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's our altar today. We are a materialistic culture by our uh, fallen nature, definitely. Definitely. So see that, uh, that drunkenness that's there. Um, and even John... Even John here, in verse 6, it says, And I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints and the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. And when I saw her, I marveled at my marveling. I, I marveled greatly. And, and we see just a few verses down uh, that that same word, that same word for marveling, uh, is used of the people 
who are not saved when they see the beast. They see the beast and they marvel at him. Uh, and it's this idea of worship, and that's, that's there in verse 8. Uh, it says, uh, the, the beast that you saw was and is not and is about to rise from the bottom of the pit and go to destruction, and the dwellers on earth, skip that little section of whose name have not been written in the book of life since the foundation of the world, will marvel to see the beast. That's, that's a, it's a word for worship. Now, it's not saying here that John bowed down and worshiped there, but he was tempted to. He was tempted to. He saw this woman who was decked out in all of the best things that the world has to offer in her crimson and her uh, blue dyes and wearing all the jewels. And, and he was like, wow, wow, that's amazing. And we, we have the tendency in our own life to do that too, to get kind of starstruck and, and look. And there's a, a comparison being made here on purpose between, as we talked last week, of this, this woman here who is decked out in all of her beauty to show what? What is, what, is, what is she dressing to show off here? To show off her immorality. But in chapter 19, when we see the bride of Christ, uh, we see that the bride has made herself ready, and she has fine linen, bright and pure. Uh, she's, she's decked out not to show her riches or wealth or immorality, but to show God's glory. Okay, so it's a, it's, a, it's a comparison here between the bride of the lamb and the woman who is the bride of the beast. Okay, there's a, a comparison being sought here. Uh, but uh, notice that you know, uh, even John is tempted here to, to be at wonder with it. Uh, even in some of the description, it, it is a bit of a comparison to the Old Testament priests who wore clothing with some of those same colors, uh, had gold and a lot of those same precious stones that were there you can see a comparison there that there can be a, a tendency to want to go to uh, that type of works-based salvation as well to say oh if I can just keep the law if I can just uphold it and I can do that so uh, we're not sure exactly because we're not John what was going on in his heart and mind as he wondered but we know that immediately we see a rebuke we see uh, a step in at this point. Uh, he says, uh, when I saw her, I marveled greatly. But the angel said to me, why do you marvel? Why do you marvel? Like, don't, don't you dare bow down and worship this. And we see it later. Uh, if we go over to chapter 19, we see the same kind of idea that in chapter 19, verse 9, uh, we see the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. Then I fell down at his feet to worship him. But he said, you must not do that. I'm a fellow servant with you and your brothers who hold the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. So again, same kind of comparison in, in these chapters. Chapter 17 versus chapter 19, where there's this temptation to fall down and, and worship. Uh, and that is, that's our fallen nature. We, we long to make idols out of anything we can get our hands on. Uh, it was Augustine who said the, the human heart is an idol factory, uh, that we, we just produce them left and right. I anything that we have in our hands, have in our grasp, we want to turn it into an idol. Um, and that, is, that shows the, the weakness of our worship. Oh, it just shows how little we truly get the value and the worth of God's grace and God's glory. Uh, that we are willing to worship the things that we can see in front of us rather than the almighty thing goes, that is not in front of us. It goes back to that quote I used uh, a couple Sundays ago in, in my sermon. 
where it was uh, Ignatius of Antioch. And he said, apart from Christ, let nothing dazzle you. Yeah. And that's what the world does. That's what this, this woman on the beast is doing. She's dazzling them. Yep, dazzling them. Uh, just trying to, to pull people away, uh, as we saw back in Revelation chapter 2 uh, of the church, uh, who was being kind of dazzled by Jezebel and wanting to get pulled away, if possible, from the gospel of Jesus Christ. So, so yeah, it, it really is just a call here for discernment. Uh, to be discerning about the things that your heart is longing for. What is the longing of your heart? What is the longing of your heart? Is it uh, for the things that surround you, from the things that this world counts as valuable, or is it is he the one who has your attention and your worship? That's the big question that we, we need to ask ourselves uh, as we walk this race, as we run this race. Okay. All right. So, trying to see where we need to go. Okay. All right. So, let's, let's go on from here uh, where the angel is now saying, why do you marvel? And he says, I'm going to tell you who this is. I'm going I'm to give you an outline of, of who this is. I'll tell you the mystery of this woman and of the beast with seven heads and ten horns that carries her. Okay, so we don't have to, to really wonder a whole lot. We still do have to wonder because it's hard. <laughs> it's hard. He says, you know, it, it takes a mind with some wisdom here uh, to do this. But he says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to reveal this to you. He says, the beast that you saw, verse 8, was and is not and is about to rise from the bottomless pit and go to destruction. Okay, so we have four things there. That he was, he is not, and he is about to rise from the bottomless pit, and he is going to go to destruction. Okay, so four concepts there that we can get, that this beast is getting ready to go. And we're gonna, he's going to repeat this several times in different ways as he goes through here. Okay, so the, the beast was. What is that? What does that mean? That he was. Well, notice this is the same formula that we see God being referred to. Uh, that he was and is and is to come. Uh, and if we, uh, if we read back through Revelation, you can see it three or four, five times there. Uh, where he's referred to this way as the one who was and is and is to come. And just like the dragon, the beast, and the false prophet are a false trinity. Uh, this is a, a parody of God's name, God's uh, character here. Uh, that he was, is not, and is going to come and go to destruction. So this is, this is like John uh, writing out the end of the story before we get there, saying, hey, it's, it's over. He, he was, yeah, he was here, but he died. He's dead. He's gone. And he is now. There's, there's one that's here. Uh, and, and he's going to go to power, and then he's going to go to destruction. So it was, he is not. He's dead. He's defeated. And he's going to come, and he's going to go to destruction. Uh, so he, he's like, before we even get into the story, let me just let you know, he's going to destruction. It's, it's going to be all over in the end here uh, before you get too carried away with this. Um. And we're going to see this more specifically once we get over into chapter 20. Okay, just see the wording here that the beast that you saw was and is not and is about to rise from the bottomless pit and go to destruction. Well, if you look in chapter 20, 
uh, you see that in verse 3, uh, it says, uh, and threw him into the pit, that abyss, and shut it and sealed it over him so that he might not deceive the nations any longer until the thousand years were ended. The thousand years is the time that we're in right now, this millennial reign of Christ from Advent to Advent. And so at the end of those thousand years, he must be released for a little while. And we'll see that phrase, a little while, uh, keep coming up here, uh, that he is going to rise from the bottomless pit and that he's going to come out for a little while. And they'll call it even an hour uh, to show you how little of a while it is. Okay, must be released for a little while. Um, and, and then he, he goes on there. But we'll, we'll get to that soon. So verse 8, as we continue here. And the dwellers on earth, and the dwellers on earth, and this definition of who these people are is given to us right here. The, the earth dwellers uh, are, are defined over and over and over again. We see uh, them defined even further down here, uh, where in verse uh, 15, it says, the waters that you saw where the prostitutes seated are peoples and multitudes and nations and languages. These are unbelievers. Okay, these are our unbelievers, these dwellers on earth, earth dwellers, unbelievers, those who are not dwellers in the kingdom of God. They are dwellers just in the kingdom of earth. Uh, they're not in the city of God, they're in the city of man. Okay, these earth dwellers, these earth dwellers whose names have not been written in the book of life from the foundation of the world. All right, so we saw it earlier in the book that the Lamb has this book, has this book in which every person who is saved, every person who is his, is written down, not from the moment that they said they want to accept Christ as their Savior, but from the foundations of the world. How does that make you feel about your salvation? Like That should give you so much hope that it's not based on you. That, that if you're in Christ... Your name has been written in the Lamb's Book of Life since before the foundation of the world. Before, before God spoke and said, let there be light, your name was in his hands. That's, that's fantastic. And I, I wonder about this book, like, because we see the, this book before the foundation of the world. But this is when, when you've got angels being created, angels are there, and there's this book. There's the Lamb's Book that's here. And, and these angels are being created, and they're looking, and they're saying, what's the name of this book? Well, the name of this book is the, the book of the Lamb who was slain. And they're going, who's the Lamb? What is the Lamb? What's the Lamb? <laughs> we haven't even seen it. There's no Lamb yet. There's no creation. What does slain mean? But it's the book of the Lamb who was slain. God had in his mind your salvation before he had in his mind the Son. That that's fantastic, you guys. But the flip side of it is, the flip side of it is that that same amount of security that you have in your salvation, we can't soft pedal it. <laughs> uh, and, and people try to do that and go, well, this book is just a list of those people who are going to believe in Jesus at some point in their life. And that's true. That's true. But it's not the full picture of what's true here. The full picture is that not only are those who are saved written down for the foundation of the world, but on the inverse, everyone else is not written down. That's hard. That's hard to kind of look at and go, 
where's my free will? <laughs> and I have my students wrestle with this question and go, well, if it's already been decided since before the foundation of the world, do I have any free will? Yeah. Yeah, you do. Yeah, you do. Because you're not God. Because you're not God. Yes, you still get to decide. You still have salvation as a choice until you 